You're listening to the LaxRecords.com podcast, episode 19. Today we're going to dig deep into the high school season that has been so far. So let's get started. Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the LaxRecords.com podcast. Today's show is going to be a little bit different, um, mostly because we haven't really been in the high school lacrosse season for too many weeks since I've been doing this podcast. Obviously, I started in the off season, so we haven't had many opportunities to talk high school lacrosse that's actually happening at the moment. So this week, we're going to do a few different things. I'm going to kind of catch up on some of the results and some of the players that have kind of caught my eye so far this season. And then later on, we're going to try a little bit something different again. And we're going to talk to Jim Loftus at MaxLaxOC.com. And we're going to talk about that St. Ignatius prep win over Gonzaga earlier this week. Well, last week, now that uh, it's, it's this week that I'm recording this. Not to get too confusing. Um, so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that and just kind of what it means overall in the grand scope scope of things, plus also just kind of what it means for California lacrosse. So as far as uh, so this season, a couple results have kind of stood out to me. Um, one was the Bishop O'Connell win over DeMatha that was back on March 8th. That was a big win uh, after kind of doing some research, found out that was the Knights' first win ever over DeMatha, which is a pretty big deal considering the Knights have had a program for 27 years. Uh, it's really not that much of a surprise, though, because when we were talking earlier in the season, I kind of mentioned that Kevin Giblin, I think it was the Robert Waters podcast over at Paul the Six, that we kind of talked about how much of an impact Kevin Giblin was going to have at at Bishop O'Connell in his first season. And I kind of made that prediction at the point that, that Giblin was going to kind of uh, and O'Connell was kind of kind of jump up and bite someone. Uh, I still have an inkling that it, it, it's almost be poetic if they actually beat Paul the Sixth this year because that was kind of uh, Robert Waters' first real win that made people stand up and take notice after he took over the Paul the Sixth program. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But obviously the the Knights' win over Dematha was a big one because Dematha has been a WCAC power for for many many years and they're always a consistent program. And obviously in that one, Caden. Uh, if I mispronounce your name, your last name, I apologize, Caden uh, Keitlinger. He scored three goals in that game, including the one in overtime, and he earned the, the Player of the Week honors that would have been now almost two weeks ago. He scored 40 goals as a junior uh, after he scored 30 as a sophomore and 34 as a freshman. So he was no stranger to the net, but that obviously may have been the biggest goal, uh, I would argue, of his career thus far. We'll see how many more get sunk in that net uh, to win Bishop O'Connell a few more games this coming season. So kind of heading down I-95 and going down to Florida. This was a little bit more recent. Uh, Jupiter is kind of one of those teams that not a lot of people were talking about heading into the season. I know uh, Lee Roggenberg and I, we talked about a lot of the Florida teams to watch coming into the year and which ones would actually you know kind of make his final four. And Jupiter is one of those programs that they're always around, but this season they've beat both Ponte Vedra and then most recently they beat St. Andrews. It, it, those are big results because obviously Ponte Vedra was actually Lee's pick to to win it all uh, for the FHSAA championship this season. Obviously they were uh, they're a consistent Final Four team down there, but they also reached the state championship game against St. Thomas Aquinas last season. So Jupiter had already beat them. I actually don't have any stats from that game, so I'm not actually sure who the the players to watch were from that one. But for the St. Andrews game, that was a pretty big deal because it, it once again just kind of solidifies Jupiter's, you know, that Ponte Vedra loss is not really, uh, or Ponte Vedra win, excuse me, 
was not really a fluke that they're they're actually a team to contend with and it was one of those you know th- literally the following day uh Jupiter played Nice and they lost 9 to 8 in overtime so it was kind of one of those instances where you're like all right which which team is it um you know they had they had lost to Oxbridge Academy who's another up and coming program in Florida 7 to 6 but other than that, I mean I think the win over Pontevedra and the win over St Andrews they got Lake Hy- and they also beat Lake Highland Prep who's obviously a team that has been a uh, regular in the championship in the final four so they have some pretty significant wins so far this year and hopefully I can get Lee back on the podcast before the end of the regular season as we head into the playoffs to talk a little bit more about it but I wanted to highlight a couple of the players Michael Dean, Devin Rasmus and and Chris Raddis who all had two goals apiece for Jupiter in the St. Andrews win so congrats to the Warriors on on a pretty big significant win and uh, obviously it what's turning out to be a little bit of a quiet season but a, a very solid season so we'll see what uh, coach Dan Loftus's team does as we head into the playoffs because as I'm looking at the schedule they only have three games remaining um, a, another team that is one of those I, I don't get a lot of information because there's not a lot of uh, reporting in the uh, southern tip of Florida but St. Thomas Aquinas who obviously is coming off a championship season last year they just keep winning they're 12-0 and this year they this past week they surpassed 30 game winning streak they now have a 31 game winning streak which is the third longest active streak in the nation at this point i only have victor out of new york who's won the last two um titles out of new york and then darian which is obviously a connecticut state power with longer streaks victor's at 44 darian's at 33 so obviously the raiders are in pretty good company there uh just kind of you know, looking at them and what they're going to do, uh, and it, it, you can't really uh, point to any huge win on their schedule at this point. You know, they got Lake Highland Prep, they beat Lake Mary, they have a lot of solid wins. I think the game I'll be two games coming up in the next week are going to be really interesting. They they travel, they're on the road for their last three games of the year, uh, and that's at at Massapequa, which is a obviously New York Class A powerhouse so that's going to be an in- very interesting to watch they also play at st dominic which is out of long island i believe they're in the the catholic league uh, i could be incorrect on that but i think i'm pretty sure and then they obviously they finished the season on march 30th at jupiter who we just got done kind of highlighting so that's going to be another interesting one um I, I, just to see kind of what what happens for there you know do will aquinas if aquinas beats massapequa how much is that going to shake things up? Um, probably more on a national ranking scale than anything else, but just kind of also as a huge statement win. So that'll be one to kind of keep an eye out for in the next couple of days. Actually, if I'm looking at the calendar, I think this comes out on the day the, the game is played. So that'll actually be kind of timely. So and then they obviously finish the season at Jupiter. So and obviously I, another moment I want to take is just kind of call out, do a big shout out to Reed Babcock who at Regis Jesuit, um, he earned the LaxRecords.com Player of the Week for last week. Um, it was a tough week uh, to kind of pick. You know, Babcock, he had five goals and one assist against Cherry Creek, which is obviously, you know, two the, basically the two state powers out of uh, out of Colorado. So that, that was a really big game. That kind of happened earlier in the week, so it was kind of one of those. Um, I tracked down the photo and just kind of did that. It was kind of almost an <clears throat> a no-brainer. That happened on March 15th. It was 14-11 in, in Regis Jesuits' favor, who's uh, started the season 2 in Colorado. Just kind of got their season started uh, right around March 10th, so they've only been going for, for a few weeks. So congratulations to Reed. 
But as I mentioned, it was kind of a tough week because Peyton St. Jem, um, again, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I sincerely apologize. Uh, he had a really great game against uh, Gonzaga, which is a, a top 10 team uh, nationally, ranked in several of the polls in the top 10. He scored four goals, including what proved to be the game winner uh, 11 in an 11 to 10 game over Gonzaga. And that was just happened last Friday. So a little bit less than a week ago. Um, he leads the Wildcats with 12 goals so far this season. At least that was as of the day I'm recording this, which is Sunday. Um, I might actually be getting some more stats from them because they played in the Jesuit classic and they actually just got done staying Ignatius prep just got done. They beat Dallas Jesuit. And I think they play today as well. Actually, no, they don't play today. So uh, they're probably traveling back to California, maybe as I'm recording this. So and, uh, it was it was kind of a tough week. If you ever uh, want to know who gets the player of the week, I release them every Monday. And I name a player of the week, but then also name uh, a few other extraordinary players, usually anywhere from five to seven, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what I can find and and just kind of what's going on on the landscape that this past week. So definitely check out the laxrecords.com player of the week. And I have a submission form on the website. So if you ever want to know how to get a player nominated, just go to the uh, contact me section of the website. And then you can kind of see how to, how to make that submission. And like I said, they come out every Monday. So get the submissions in early. And then that way we can be definitely sure to, to get you mentioned. All right, now before we kind of jump into the interview with Jim Loftus, I want to talk a little bit about another game to kind of catching up on was uh, Torrey Pines beating St. Ignatius Prep 14-11 on, on March 11th. That was a pretty big deal. Um, you know, St. Ignatius Prep has put together quite the schedule so far this season, and they had started the year ranked in at the top in the top 25 of several of the national polls. And obviously for any time a team from California starts the season, in uh, the national top 25, it's a pretty big deal. So for Torrey Pines to get that win, which was like I said, 11 to 10, or I'm sorry, 14 to 11 on March 11th, that that was a pretty big, you know, stand and take notice moment. Um, I think I t- heard to uh, Coach uh, ZC on the Inside Lacrosse Preps podcast talking about that. So if you guys want to check that out, I actually have a link to that podcast in the in the show notes here if you want to check that out because that was a good interview with him for him to talk about uh, that game in more depth but for me you know Aldrich Vanderhyde is a Middlebury commit he scored eight points he had five assists and three goals in that St. Ignatius win he earned uh, one of the notable performances for me the extraordinary players nomination for that week I mean Spencer Grant a Michigan commit dominated at the at the faceoff winning 21 or 28 faceoffs Shane Grant a Richmond commit scored four goals had one assist Zach Freeland, a Georgetown commit, scored three goals in the win. I mean, it was just kind of one of those big stand-up and take-notice, as I already said, moments for, for Torrey Pines. And it was a, it was kind of a great win nationally because I think they garnered Torrey Pines a few uh, votes in the national top 25, I think, in U.S. lacrosse. So, um, you know, kind of that will lead us into the, the follow-up interview with Jim Loftus at Max Lax OC. We're going to talk a little bit about you know, we'll talk a little bit about this Torrey Pines win, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the uh, St. Ignatius victory over Gonzaga because, you know, for me, I did national rankings for ESPN's high school network, which was ESPN High School at the time, and then I did a little bit for studentsports.com for years. So since about 2009, I was doing national rankings, and these were the kind of games that I loved. You know, when Torrey Pines goes down and beats St. Ignatius Prep, for me, 
it obviously puts Torrey Pines ahead of them um, in any kind of national ranking discussion because you got to go with the head-to-head result in, in a lot of these games because you don't get you don't everything else is just kind of conjecture. It's kind of hard hard to argue with the on-the-field victory. Um, and trust me, I, I have heard all the arguments, so you're welcome to email or, or tweet at me, but I've heard them all at this point in time. So for me, when San uh, uh, Diego's prep goes down and beats Gonzaga, that should definitely shake up. Like I think this this week, as I said, I'm recording this on Sunday, but I think this week we'll probably see several uh, big moves kind of around. And I would not be shocked to see two California teams in the top 25. Um, I think I'd be more shocked if I didn't see two California teams in the top 25 because I think it's just hard to argue with that win either you know there, there's a, a school of thought that you think maybe Gonzaga's just not that good and then maybe these wins will not prove to be quite as impressive at year's end but looking at the the resume Gonzaga has put together I I just I I'm not a believer in that at this point I think Gonzaga is definitely a top 25 team so I think you got San Ignatius Prep and you got Tory Pines that will that should be ahead of them if you see any of the national rankings out this week so I think uh, I think by the time you guys are listening to this, I've already kind of seen some of that and I'd be interested. And if you don't know, I do do kind of an aggregated uh, team rankings each Friday. And basically what that is is I just kind of take a look uh, at the each of the top 25s. I, I consider there being five major ones. I don't take in lax powers into account at this point just because it's so early in the season. They're They're – Algorithm doesn't really have time to really take effect. So I take a look at the U.S. lacrosse, inside lacrosse, USA Today, recruiting rundown, and toplaxrecruits.com national rankings, and just put all the teams into a pot and assign them all points based on their ranking. And then what shakes out is the teams that I consider the consensus national top 25 in the nation. And if you saw last week's re- report, you'll you, you kind of start to see some differences in opinions on each of the teams like I think St. Anthony, Smithtown West, IMG Academy and I, I don't take into account the U.S. lacrosse poll which won't rank the Nash, uh, IMG Academy national team but if you just look at the ones that do in those three teams I saw the biz- biggest significant differences in just kind of their opinions on each of those teams and where they rank because they're a little bit all over the place so for me I find the aggregated rankings which is kind of why I did it because I, I, I started it as kind of more of a curiosity but like hey which teams are the the consensus national top 25 since we have so many polls where I feel like we can actually do something like this. So it'll be interesting. Um, you might see me comment on that when the poll, the, the lax records aggregated polls are released tomorrow on Friday. So definitely keep an eye out for that and see how each of these programs, how these California programs kind of uh, shape up and where they land in each of the rankings. <laughs> All right, now we're going to get into our interview with St. Ignatius Prep head coach Chris Packard. Packard took over the Wildcats in 2009 and since then has won 151 career games. And although they're no stranger to knocking off East Coast teams, their 11-10 win over Gonzaga this past weekend was a pretty big one, so I wanted to talk to him. So let's get into that interview now. Talk a little bit about that that Gonzaga game. You guys have had quite a week. Yeah, well, you know, they um, we've played them now. That's the fourth time we played them in the last, I guess it's seven years. Uh, every time's been at the Jesuit Classic, and they've gotten us all three times. So sort of circle that one on the schedule because we know how well coached they are and how talented they are and how many kids they've sent to Division One who are doing really well. So that's sort of one of our uh, – 
bigger matchups that we, for the last three years now, have um, have played them annually. So certainly the, the kids know some of their guys, and uh, it's a Jesuit tournament that we play them at. So it's under a the premise of um, promoting the motto, which is being a man for others. So there's sort of a bigger picture theme going on, which I think actually lends itself to uh, even more competition on the field. So they're brothers afterwards, but they sure hate each other while they're playing. And <laughs> I think that sort of brings out the best in both teams. Yeah. Yeah, I had you guys um, – it looks like I looked it up. You guys played them in 2011 and then 2015 and 16. Like you said, you had lost to them those right. uh, three times. And then obviously – yeah. 11 to 10 uh, this past time. And this was in, in Dallas because Dallas Jesuit hosted, right? At Dallas Jesuit, at Jesuit Dallas, yeah. So what what was the difference um, in, in this year's game versus, you know, previous years? Because I'm sure every year I like, want to win, so. Yeah, I, I, so we had a tough, uh, we had a tough game the Saturday before and just really got owned by Tory Pines. Mm-hmm. And I think there was sort of, there was uh a bit of trepidation to start, if you will, and just sort of a little bit of, are we any good? We think we're good, but we're not, we're not sure. And so once we sort of started slamming into them and playing as hard as we could uh, and, and competing and it was sort of toe to toe for a while, we started to get the mojo back a little bit. And, um, you know, I think at one point it was nine, seven and, we had an opportunity to make a 10-7, and they just played really good D. Their goalie was super solid, and we just couldn't get that sort of, you know, the, the big three-goal lead. And then they came right back and went on a three-goal run, one to end the third quarter with essentially no time left, and then the opener in the fourth. And then, you know, then they scored with two and a half minutes to go to go up. And it had been a while since we'd been down. So I didn't know sort of what kind of reaction we were going to get. But they were fighting and scratching for every loose ball. So I think we sort of uh, we controlled our own destiny. Gotcha. Um, Just in that we played like, you know, there was absolutely nothing to lose in, in going down the stretch. And I think that's that's hard to do. And a credit to the boys because – they had a ton of fight left in, late in the fourth quarter in a tough game. Right. Um, talk a little bit because I had I, I was checking the the Twitter account. I guess you guys got a guy who, who basically does a great job of yeah, Rick McDonough. Yeah, he's all over it. He's crazy. Yeah, he is. All, I don't know the guy's name, but a big shout out to him because he does a great job. So I had like I, he I, does. I, yeah, his, his uh, son Rusty is one of those unsung heroes to our team. Plays for City Committee. He's just a beast of an athlete. He's all over the field, you know, and like his stat line is two GBs, a cause turnover, and, you know, a, a couple hockey assists is generally how he goes. So he gets no credit, but he does a, does everything for us, and his dad's been great. Oh, okay. Uh, and what was the player's name? Rusty McDonough. Rusty. Okay. All right. Wanted to make sure I heard him. Um, I was going to ask you, talk because I had uh, – is and if I mispronounce his last name, I apologize, so correct me. Is it Peyton St. Jem? St. Jem, yeah, there are two. Peter's his older brother, and he was facing off for us and plays on our first midfield. And Peyton's a sophomore, uh, and he's been doing it all year long. He's three or four a night, and usually a GB or two, and a couple of uh, and an assist or two. So he's just a phenomenal shooter and developing really nicely as a lacrosse player. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those kids that's been good for so long that the, the moment's never too big for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's totally comfortable uh, 
fire in the game winner, like, you know, without blinking or without looking for someone else. So uh, he played really well all night. He's been playing that way since we stuck him out of attack last year. Yeah, I named him one of my honorable mention players of the week. It was kind of tough not to just because, you know, game winner against Gonzaga, that had to have been a a, a big and exciting yeah. like 40 seconds remaining. Yeah. Pretty big one there. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And he, it was, you know, you, you don't see the whole thing. You don't realize that the two plays prior, we had a fast break and our senior captain threw it to him uh, and it tipped off the top of his stick and went out of bounds. And that's why we had to get the ball back a second time on defense. So, you know, you make a huge mistake like that. You're down a goal. You never know if you're going to get another opportunity. And then sure enough, uh, same similar type play, same kid throws it to Peyton and then he just lets rip. Yes. Yeah, so, and then you guys came back the next day and uh, beat Dallas Jesuit with the host 16 to one. So pretty successful weekend for getting away. <laughs> for coming. It was, it was, I feel like, uh, and I talked to coach Cern about it quite a bit, just that, you know, he, he, he and I can blame uh, Gonzaga for the way we played against Dallas Jesuit, because I think after something like that, big win like that, where you do get the monkey off your back and you, you end up, lose the lead and then coming back and getting it at the end and hanging on that you just feel really good about yourself and the confidence was sky high and our shots were going early against Al Sheswit, so it helped us even more so. And then I think, you know, once you get that train sort of moving, it's hard to slow it down. Right. Um, now, kind of, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the Gonzaga win obviously is a, is a big one, but, you know, for those who aren't familiar with your program, you guys, this isn't, you kind of become no stranger to beating, you know, the traditional powerhouse programs. I mean, you have beat Chaminade uh, last year, Chaminade out of uh, Long Island, New York. You beat Landon in 2015. You know, you, you've already beat some of the East Coast teams. So, you know, I was looking back just through St. Ignatius. I mean, you took over a program that was successful before you were there in 2009, but you seem to have kind of taken them to, I guess, another level and kind of taken it more national. Like, what was that process like in, you know, just to, to do? Honestly, it has a whole lot less to do with me and a whole lot more to do with the school and the boys that are coming. And I mean that the growth of the sport has just allowed kids in the area to start playing at a younger age. And because of the weather and the, sort of uh, the amount of athleticism out here, you just as kids start playing younger and they're playing together longer and the competition gets better. You know, we talk about it all the time. What's the difference between Baltimore and San Francisco? What's the difference between Long Island and San Francisco? I mean, I, you know, it's hard to, I guess they have better players. There's more kids playing, so there's better competition, but we don't sort of view ourselves in, uh, you know, trying to slay Goliath anymore. We, we, we try to assimilate ourselves with the successful programs that, at all levels and just do things the right way and, um, you know, and try to be fundamentally sound uh, because I feel like that was when I initially got out here, that was the difference. There were three or four kids who knew what was going on and who had the right fundamentals and then a bunch of kids that had potential, but who just hadn't been taught how to do things the right way. And, you know, because of the growth of sport, not because of me, but because of the kids and their, the, the fundamentals that they've been taught at a young age and then their, their development throughout the ranks, I think they just now feel like, you know, they can compete on any level. And there are, you know, a handful of our guys playing Division One lacrosse, so they see those guys and they think, you know, I want to do that and I want to be like those guys. And 
And so I think, you know, it does take, you do have to go get it done. You have to go beat, you know, a team like a Chaminade or a Landon to really feel like you're there. But, and certainly for, you know, a, a California kid going back East and playing on Long Island at, at Chaminade High School or at Landon, like is just, sort of what everyone talks about. So I think there's sort of the mystique to it all. But, um, you know, but at this point, uh, I think there are actually a handful of teams on the West Coast and probably a handful of teams in California that can compete nationally. And I, and I think you see that in the reflected in the scores and the successes of the program. So uh, honestly, I just – it's fortunate timing is how I view it. Yeah. So what was it like just trying to build – I was looking back, you, you, all those guys seemed like you uh, started your slow progression – I guess East, um, you know, from when you started, and it looks like 2011 you played Gonzaga. It looks like it would, would have been a part of that Jesuit classic because you played straight Jesuit. And yeah. Jesuit. So, um, you know, that would have been, I guess, the first like East Coast team you guys really played. Like, was it easier to schedule those games after that? Like, was there any, like getting, you know? Yeah. Well, I, this, we, I never, and this is this is a credit to the to the guys we played in the last call it five years or half dozen years. I never really had a, a prop problem scheduling games everyone was willing to play us mm-hmm. um it was just you know going 2500 miles to get the game that was difficult and i think i owe the school all the credit because they were really supportive of the boys and the lacrosse program boys and girls experience um sort of a buzzword for millennials but to get them back there to allow them that experience they thought was as valuable um, as anything else. So once the school sort of had the support and then we got some support from the parents behind that and we figured out how to, how to schedule a trip for 40, um, you know, now it's sort of, uh, now it's becoming an annual. So I really owe uh, St. Ignatius College Prep a debt of gratitude for allowing us and supporting uh, cross-country trips because I think it certainly has established this sort of uh, – willingness to compete at the best level or the highest level and uh once you do that you know then all, all it takes is some success and uh and everyone wants to do it again yeah and you know you guys aren't done this year i'm looking at your schedule you still got landon garden city and Chaminade. you know just as far as like <laughs> i bit off as much as they let me bite <laughs> off i'm sure it's going to be more than i can chew but the boys are super pumped about it and uh the Garden City thing kind of happened um, on a whim, you know, and I, it's happened a bunch to us a bunch where guys just say, hey, you're in the area, we'd love to play you if you want. Um, and that's what happened there. And I was like, well, if you can get a night game because we got to drive up from D.C. And, uh, you know, Coach Finney, Finney, I believe, at Garden City was like, uh, yeah, no, we can, we can do it. We can play at Hofstra under the lights. And so – all of a sudden, we had uh, back to back to back. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But the boys are super pumped. That's got to be. Although I will say, we're playing Kent Denver tomorrow. We played them back in 2008, or I want to say, or 2000, 2007, and they beat us. So there's still still some alumni who are like, "Hey, the biggest game on your schedule this year is trying to avenge that loss <laughs> uh, with Roy Lang and Thomas Madmore and Alice Caprano." So we have a big game tomorrow, and then. I will say the competition in California is so good now that those games that we play are really exciting. So yeah. I, mean, I know it doesn't get as much recognition as, you know, being in the MIAA and I'm not trying to compare the two. I just think there's really good lacrosse being played in high school in California. 
Well, you and know, all over the West Coast. I think that's what you guys are also playing Loyola Los Angeles this year, and they just took Tory Pop wire yep. on Saturday. So you know they're they're another. Yep. And then you got St. Joseph's Prep, who you know I guess they're coming to you guys later this year. So I mean, yep. playing one of the tougher schedules in the nation. So I you know I applaud you and obviously the, the program and the school just for you know obviously you have to have that kind of support. You can't do it on your own. So no, you cannot. All right, so now we're going to get into our interview with Jim Loftus from Max Lax OC, where we kind of continue to talk about the St. Ignatius Prep win, but also we kind of dig into what this means possibly for Torrey Pines. We talk a little bit about the Loyola Los Angeles game and a little bit about California lacrosse in general. So here's the interview. All right, Jim, thanks again for for being on the podcast this week. You know, I, I honestly, I when I saw the, uh, I thought about it after the Tory Pines win, but I was just kind of wrapping my head around how to do another uh, edition of the podcast, the one that's not kind of usual, the the Sunday one that I do. But when uh, St. Ignatius won, I figured I was like, all right, now I just kind of got to make time because now there's two games to kind of talk about out your way. So I appreciate you being on again. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to do it. All right. Um, so first, you know, I, I know, uh, well, let's go in chronological order. Um, Tory Pines, uh, out of the San Diego area went and beat St. Ignatius prep, which I know had started the year. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know for sure, at least I think it was in the U S lacrosse poll. They had started in the top 25 of the year. So Tory Pines, uh, defeated them 14 to 11. So that, that was a pretty big deal in and of itself. And I know coach ZC was on the inside, Lacro- inside lacrosse preps podcast recently to kind of talk about that win. But when did did that win kind of register for you as, you know, kind of one of those moments? But like, hey, this you know, this Tory Pines team is, you know, I know we knew they were good to begin with, but maybe they're better than we even thought. Yeah, that certainly did it. Um, uh, the week before, um, Tory Pines had won a home game against Lawrenceville, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, 10, 10 to nine, one goal win. Um, I don't know much about Lawrenceville's program, um, but there was a talk around here anyway in, in the lacrosse circles that that was a really big deal. Um, you know, and I didn't get a chance to go back and research if Lawrenceville is a traditional power uh, or not. But you know, as you and I were talking about off, off air before we started, you do this long enough and you start to hear the same schools, school names popping up. Um, um, and so, so like I say, Lawrenceville, um, Apparently it was a big deal for Tory, and then to follow it up a week later by beating SI, um, kind of established this team, uh, the Tory Pines team, and then so then they moved into the national rankings um, ahead of SI, I believe, uh, and and then last night Loyola from LA went down to Tory Pines and came from a 7-2 deficit to tie it up in the fourth quarter. Um, apparently, according to the coach, they nearly took the, an 8-7 lead, but hit pipe, and and, uh, and Torrey eventually took that 8-7 lead and then tacked on an empty net goal in the last second, so to beat him 9-7. So Torrey's played some some pretty good uh, competition. Yeah, and actually, I'm looking at their schedule now. They still have Arapahoe and Regis Jesuit out of, uh, out of Colorado, so they really did not, you know, and actually it looks like they got Cherry Creek and Mountain Vista and Kent Denver later, and that's the out of state. They put together quite a schedule this year, and uh, so yeah, I I, I was kind of looking up Lawrenceville's schedule while you were talking. I mean, uh, I I don't think I think it'd be hard to consider them like a, a national power. Like they're always, I think they're one of those programs. They're a prep program. They they do have I believe fifth year players. 
Um, and they're always a solid team. They are definitely a solid, like they're always, you know, an above 500 team and they play a, a challenging schedule. I think they were probably better in the earlier half of this millennium. Um, you know, they had a couple of like 20 and 21 win seasons, a couple undefeated seasons. So I don't think they've been the team that they have been for the last few years, but I think it's definitely, as you guys kind of mentioned, like when you beat a Lawrenceville team, um, I think when you beat Lawrenceville, no matter where you're from, California or Baltimore, I think it's a win that most people can can tip their hats to and be like, you know, you've, you've accomplished something. But I think in pre- recent years, I would probably, I, I think the St. Ignatius win, for me anyway, is probably a bigger deal because I think St. Ignatius under, under Coach Packard has put together a very impressive program. And as we'll kind of go into now, they've become no stranger to beating East Coast teams. Um, I think, you know, when I caught my email to you was when they beat Gonzaga, which was a top 10 team in a lot of the national polls uh, in the pet, like from the preseason up until whatever week you would consider this, uh, depending on where you're from, depends on what week of the season you're in. Um, but they beat them 11 to 10. And from my research, that's the first time they've ever beat Gonzaga. Now this is the fourth time they've played. So this was, uh, you know, it's not a history that goes back 20 or 30 years, but for me, that was a pretty big, pretty big win. Um, how did you guys kind of view it, especially with the Tory Pines angle? Cause now you can, through the transitive property, you could almost be like, oh, you know, it's Torrey Pines on that same level as a Gonzaga team since they beat the team that beat them. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, so for, for a Southern California team, as good as Torrey Pines has been, to beat St. Ignatius, that's a, a, a landmark, right? And then for, for St. Ignatius, as good as they've been over an even longer period of time, and, and they, they make annual trips to the East Coast to uh, um, Torrey doesn't do that. They go to Colorado almost every year, but they've only gone East a couple times. Um, not many other teams from Southern California do that. The, a lot more East Coast teams come here because we have the weather and they can play a couple of games against good competition. In fact, I think St. Paul's from Baltimore uh, is finishing up a trip uh, flying back today, probably played three games out here. So those teams come out here more often than our teams going back east. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's still it's it's you know it's a landmark uh, I think for for San Ignatius to to beat Gonzaga. Um, you know they've they've beaten other big name programs from back east too. Uh, last year they beat Chaminade from Long Island. Uh, uh, they've beaten Landon in the past and Seton Hall Prep uh, in 2013. Um, so they're they go back there regularly, and so you know their underclassmen get that experience, and they get to play that competition, and then they come back a year later. And, and uh, um, so they've that that program for the West Coast, uh, I believe, is is the uh, you know the, the pinnacle. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. You know, it's kind of the becoming the the power. I mean, and I, I think it really takes you having the to go to go east or at least have the East Coast teams come to you and and play, and then you know not only play and beat them like they're you know that's 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 a pretty big deal. So, you know, I guess my question for you is, you know, at what point do you think it will stop being a surprise to people when California teams can beat, you know, the Lakers and I guess <laughs> how many wins do you think they got to get before people are like, oh yeah, that happens, you know, before it stops being a surprise? Well, you know, I think I think as we talked about, St. Ignatius has opened the year in the national top 25. So they've built that reputation. And they may have been in the 20s or something, but people who put together those rankings know who St. Ignatius is. Um, they're starting to know who Tory Pines is. Uh, 
and and I know Loyola and talking with their coaches, they want to be in that conversation as well. They want to be to be thought of among the elite uh, West Coast or Western United States teams that will be talked about in that national top 25 conversation. It'll be a while, I think, before they get there. They have a tremendous senior class um, and, and lots of underclass talent as well. But once the senior class graduates, you know, we'll see how they do next year and how they're able to continue building on it. But Loyola plays uh, San Ignatius later this year. It goes up to San Francisco to play them. Um, and then goes back down to San Diego for Poway, which is probably, you know, one and two with Torrey Pines uh, the last few years anyway, yeah. um, beating Torrey Pines for the, the San Diego title. So, so Loyal is trying to build that schedule. But, you know, the, the broader question of when will it no longer be a surprise, um, I, think it's, I think it's still going to be a while because, again, not very many teams from here go back there to play the very elite. Now, with a team like St. Paul's coming out here and going 3-0, and well, that just sort of reinforces the idea that Southern California teams aren't ready to compete with a St. Paul's. Um, you know, and, and if St. Paul's comes out here next year or three years from now and goes 0-3, then the conversation changes. Right. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Obviously, you know, I, I'm an East Coast guy, so I may be somewhat biased, but I don't play my own devil's advocate. You know, look at the, the, the Poway game against St. Paul's. I mean, it was 9-6. to six. I mean, unless, unless the Crusaders really let off the gas, um, I mean, it, it's obviously a loss in the scorebook. But, I mean, I'm looking at that. I'm like, 9-6, to six, that's, that's a pretty tight game against a, a team that's expected to compete, you know, definitely expected to make the playoffs in the MIAA, if not, you know, compete for the title this year. I mean, it's a loss on paper, but I mean, I think if I was the coach, I'd be like, you know, that that's, I'm sure they hate the term, but you know, that's kind of one of those moral victories in a way. Uh, you know, I kind of feels dirty coming out of my mouth even saying it, but I kind of look at these things differently from from my end of the spectrum. I'm looking at that. I'm like, you know, nine to six over at St. Paul's, that's not bad. That's not even remotely bad. Like no one could really fault you for for that. I mean, they'll probably have, you know, Teams will lose much worse than that to them at this scene. So I think, you know, Poway and Cummings, you know, that's in some ways uh, the California teams showed up showed up really well this week uh, with, you know, St. Ignatius and then obviously that Torrey Pines lost him. Did you get to see the Loyola? Um, I think you said you were you were following them on Twitter. So, uh, you know, you didn't get to see the game. But, you know, that had to have been a heck of a game as well. I'm sure that was kind of a dogfight. Yeah, well, I – it's unfortunate for me that would have been about a two and a half to three hour drive. Um, and that's not even accounting for LA traffic. Um, I live on the North side of LA and, and to get all the way to San Diego for that on a Saturday night also would have cost me some uh, points around the house. If you, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to argue that uh Sunday afternoon lacrosse game <laughs> at points of time. So, well, Jim, you know, speaking of points around the house, I don't want to get, I don't want you to lose anymore. So I know we're taking on a Sunday afternoon. So I appreciate you. You kind of jumping on and giving giving some insight, and especially some insight on the Loyolas and Torrey Pines, um, and just kind of California lacrosse in general. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, glad I could join you.